All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Thank you because there is none like you. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega, the first and the last. We thank you because uh, there is no God like you. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together in different parts of the world uh, to fellowship and to receive from you. We declare in the name of Jesus Christ that our hearts are open. Our spirits are enlightened uh, by your word. We receive insight, we receive revelation, we receive wisdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us your word. We ask that you lead us into the into the experience of your truth, that the kingdom of heaven be made real in our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I receive utterance to speak your word with power, with boldness, with simplicity in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank for everyone who is on this call and those that will join us and even those that will listen at a later time. We ask that the same impact of your spirit be made available as they listen in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Okay, good. I mean, it's evening here. Um, but good day wherever you're, you know, joining us from. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is. Uh, we are starting a new, a new conversation, a new series um today. And we have titled today's the start of this series, we'll have titled it. Um, guidelines for Christian living. And you'll see why I call it guidelines. You know, I was thinking about the topic and I was uh, I was just a bit hesitant calling guidelines because I didn't want it to sound like a set of rules or a set of do's and don'ts, uh, but which, you know, could come across as legalistic. However, um, the scriptures actually have set of rules. You know, there are guidelines that God has given to us um, that that we should live by but the difference between this and, and and the legalistic system is that these instructions carry power carry grace all right and they are spiritual uh permit me to use the word spiritual cheat codes you know back in the days when we used to have you know super mario you know i mean in the days of sega and um you know those the, those playstation no not playstation yet um all those games you know i, I don't recall the name now but there used to be this cheat code, all right, that you could you could just do, you could use, and you sort of have 100 lives or infinity lives, you know, in that game. And it's just an advantage that, you know, people had the way, found a way of going around the system, you know, and they had that advantage in that game. But my point is this, that when God gives us these instructions, they are actually some sort of cheat codes to give us a supernatural experience in life and we're going to look at them uh in just a moment um but i wanted to establish that this is not coming from a legalistic standpoint where uh we're trying to mark you know an attendance or mark a sheet to say i i've done this i've i've not done this this is my score no this is from a spiritual spiritually advantageous uh perspective okay so having said that let's read our anchor scripture taken from first thessalonians chapter five and we'll start reading from verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Okay, so the Bible says this. 
now we exhort you. And, you know, this was at the end of this letter that Paul was beginning to make this uh, um, comment and make this exhortation. So he says, now we exhort you, brethren. He says, one, those who are unruly, uh, meaning among the believers, there are people who are unruly, who are indisciplined, who just want to do things anyhow. And Paul says, you guys should warn those people. And it's so interesting that even though this, this letter was written several years ago, the this category of people still exist even in the church today or even in, in any Christian gathering or in any Christian community uh, among believers. There are people who are unruly. And Paul says we should warn them. Then he goes on to say, comfort the faint-hearted. So there are people that would be faint-hearted, there are people that would be faint-hearted or people that would be weak in heart, people that may not have as much um, stamina in their hearts as others. And so Paul says, for those kind of people, you know, comfort them, be 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 delicate around them. And this reminds me of when Paul was talking about those, you know, eating food sacrificed to idols and all of that. And he says, see, for conscience sake, don't eat it. Not for your conscience, but for the conscience of those um, um, of those um, new believers who may still regard idols as something, all right? And so what, what this means is in a, in a Christian group or in whatever the, the setup is, in a fellowship or in a gathering, or a community of believers in a church, we should not be ignorant of those who are faint-hearted. The fact that you're spiritual, you are spiritually stronger or you're spiritually mature doesn't mean you should ignore the faint-hearted all right, or the weak ones among us, okay? So Paul says we should comfort the faint-hearted and then he says uphold the weak. All right, so just like I was saying, you're conscious of those who may be weak around you, whose faith, they are, who are still trying to um, strengthen their faith, you know? I, I, just just as a as an example, I was speaking with a lady some months ago, I think, and I was just sharing some scriptures with her, and I was she shared her experience, and I was going to going to talk about it, but I could tell that, and, and her experience was, you know, I was going to begin to address demonic things and all of that, and I could tell that she wasn't ready for for that kind of you know a Bible study yet. She was still trying to just get herself, you know, grounded and, and, and strengthened. And I did not go into the conversation of demons and how to deal with them, how to cast out demons, because I could tell that she was beginning to even get afraid just by the whole idea of that uh, topic. And so I refrained from it. Of course, I could, I could go ahead and, and teach her, you know, and maybe tell her, you, you need to be strong. You don't, these things, you can't be avoiding them and all of that. But at that point, I, I would have done, more damage to her than good and so this is what god is saying when we when we when we recognize or are, inter or in, are interfacing with people who may not be spiritually strong among us we have to be delicate with the way we uh you know relate with them especially when we are presenting uh spiritual truth so it goes on to say um uphold the week then it says be patient with all verse 15 see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone and this is a this is bordering on the work of love, okay? And by the way, I'm just giving commentary before we arrive at my verse of emphasis. But there are just some things I love to highlight as we read. Uh, so it says, make sure you render, no one renders evil for evil to anyone. And this is a very tough instruction because the people who maltreat you, the people who insult you, the people who uh, lie against you and say all sorts of awful things against you, 
you will have opportunities to revenge them. Most often than not, you have the opportunity to uh, revenge these people, okay? Revenge what they had done to you. The same way Joseph had a perfect opportunity to revenge his brothers. He was in a perfect position of authority. He was, the timing was perfect. You know, as he were, God had, you know, made him, God had blown, um, God had made him blow rather. You know, when they say someone just becomes successful and it's now time to, if you are listening from Nigeria, you understand this phrase, it's now time to pepper them, okay? Meaning it's time to revenge and step back on their toes the way they stepped on your toes and even or, or probably even more there will always be that opportunity but the bible says to not revenge uh render evil for evil but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all so always seek the good of everybody seek the ultimate good of everyone um that is the whole responsibility of love now verse 16 is where my emphasis is today but I'm going to read all the way down to verse 19 and then I'll backtrack to verse 16 okay so I'll just read quickly here it says rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you verse 19 says do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies test all things Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So from verse 16 to 21, we can extract, you know, um, instructions in bullet points. One, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. Don't quench the spirits, don't despise prophecies, test all things and abstain from, e from evil. So that's about six of them. All right. Uh, but I want to draw my emphasis tonight from just verse 16, it says, rejoice always. And I mean, just when thinking about it, personally for me, it's such, uh, it's, it's, it has a motivating effect when I, when I repeat it to myself, rejoice always. It says, regardless of what you are going through, rejoice always. And I'm going to bundle this with verse 18 that says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, the three instructions in 16, 17, and 18, the Bible says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Then it says, for this is the will of God. So those three things represent the will of God in every situation. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks. So you might say, oh, you, I don't know what the will of God for whatever particular situation is, right? Maybe you're trying to discern what direction God will have you go, discern what you should do in that moment. I can tell you before even you before you receive any specific unique instruction to that situation, if you do these three things, you will not be wrong. It says one, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks. So you stay in the place of rejoicing, stay in the place of prayer, and stay in the place of giving thanks. Okay, so for today, I'm going to bundle rejoicing and giving thanks just because uh, it's very difficult to separate them in experience, all right? So rejoice always. And it is interesting because it says rejoice always. Um, meaning whatever you you whatever situation you find yourself in, rejoice. Whether you're on the mountaintop, it says rejoice. You are in the valley, rejoice. You are on the in the plain, rejoice. Regardless, it says rejoice always. And uh, this is very, I mean, it's a very tough instruction, to be honest, because globally and all around the world when you look at what is going on it's like the reasons to rejoice keep reducing because there are phenomena that are 
just strange things that you can't explain okay and um and the bible doesn't say rejoice because you can understand or you can explain what is going on it says rejoice always it doesn't tell give us the liberty to pick and choose the instances in which we rejoice it says rejoice always and i'm saying this especially because if wherever wherever you are in the world really you know i was speaking with, with a friend of mine last week i believe and um, we're just talking about what was going on in Canada, the hike in prices. And then you now go to the UK and see that there's hike in prices uh, as well. You go to the US and you see that the price of gas um, just recently increased. And then you come to Nigeria, where, I, where I'm at, and uh, it's just very unexplainable. <laughs> in fact, uh, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. And you're asking, why, what, why should I rejoice? The body Bible says rejoice always, rejoice always. And this is one of the instructions God has given to us. And I believe God has given this instruction as a way for us to elevate above the circumstances that are going on around us. And sometimes just take the word of God for what it is, you know, take the word of God for, for what it is without trying to understand why, because the Bible say, um, I mean, no, not it's not an exact quotation from the Bible now, but from scriptures, we understand that we live by God's instructions and not by God's explanations, meaning that God is not obliged to explain to us before we obey, okay? And our obedience should precede our understanding. And God is giving us instruction to rejoice, to rejoice always. And this scripture brings to mind another scripture that I want us to read, and that is in Philippians chapter 4, I believe it is verse 4, okay? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Again, Paul was writing and giving final instructions in this his letter, and this is what he says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is the same thing that we just read, okay? And the Bible says in the mouth of Two or three witnesses, the matter is established. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. But this instruction now gives an added context that would help us. You know, the last, um, where we read in First Thessalonians 5, it says, rejoice always. But now, Philippians 4 verse, 4 verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Aha, there's now an additional context. And the context is in the Lord. So while you might not be able to rejoice at your bank accounts right now, while you may not be able to rejoice in the state of your country or the state of your economy or maybe your, the state of your career or whatever it is, but the Bible says you can rejoice in the Lord, meaning you look to the Lord to draw your joy from, okay? You look to the Lord to draw your, 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 your rejoicing from. So the, the reason for your rejoicing is found in the Lord. The reason for your, for your excitement and, and thanksgiving is the Lord. There is no other reason. And this is very powerful because everything can change. In fact, the heavens and earth at some point will collapse. The heaven that you know it, one day you there'll be a, a new Jerusalem, there'll be a new heaven, there'll be a new earth. So the things you even know, the, the sun, the moon that you think is very constant, has been constant all your life, one day will change, but the Lord does not change. And so when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord, it's giving us an eternal anchor to tie our joy to that our joy will never be shaken as long as it is in the lord and this now uh, explains why apostle paul could be in prison because if you this um <clears throat> the book of philippians 
was written, or this epistle was written when he was in prison. In fact, we read from verse one, he says, oh, I'm, I'm in prison. I know, but the gospel is not, is, I mean, changed, but the gospel is not changed. Changed, And he says, uh, this should be verse 19, that I know this will turn out for my good by the supply, by your prayers and the supply of the spirit. So when Paul was saying rejoice in the Lord, he was not in any physical condition as to warrant rejoicing. But this was someone in prison telling those not who were not in prison to rejoice. This must tell you that there was something deeper than his environment that Paul was draw, drawing joy from. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And as though it was not enough, and knowing that in case you missed it, he says, and again, I say rejoice. What kind of a, a concept did he understand that he could he could be stirring joy in the hearts of other people that were in a better physical condition than he was. That means he understood that rejoicing had to be in the Lord. And when you draw your rejoicing from the Lord, then you see that there are, there's, there are endless possibilities in God. Okay. And so it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And I'm just saying this to us prophetically that whatever situation you are in, rejoice. You know, one day I was talking, I was, no, no, I was, I was driving back. I was alone in the car and I stopped, stopped, you know, to buy, I felt like eating boiled granite. And I saw a, a young girl, you know, hawking granite and I beckoned on her and I, you know, bought some granite from her. And I just casually asked her, I said, are you in school? And she said, no, she's not in school. I said, why, why are you not in school? She said, there's no money and all of that. You know, when I left, after I left, I was just thinking in my heart that, People are really going through a lot, right? And I, let me speak for Nigeria because this is where I live. And that people are really, currently, are, people are really going through a lot. The prices have more than tripled within a year. Just things are, you know, almost becoming un, unbearable. And I was just asking my asking God in my heart, so I said, so what is the way out? What, like, what is the way out for believers in seasons like this? You know, and one of the things he said to me was giving, okay, which is not that, focus for today but let me just chip this in that when things are really tight i promise you the the wisdom in that situation is to give okay um this is not a topic but let me just chip in something here because when the prophet when god sent the prophet to the widow right that's Eli, when god sent elijah to the widow of zarephath she just had a little oil and a little flour that she would have eaten with her son and died but God wanted to sustain that widow and God sent Elijah and the instruction Elijah gave was, first of all, give me, when you make that bread, give, serve it to me first before you give it to your, to your son and before you eat. And that it does not make sense because what I have can, is barely enough for myself and my son, yet you want me to give it to you first. But you see that foolishness in quotes, right? It was the wisdom that God used to preserve her. So in seasons like this, giving is one of these, these spiritual wisdoms to survive seasons like this. The second thing is what we're talking about today, rejoicing. Rejoicing keeps you above the circumstance of the environment. Because you see, when you rejoice, it doesn't immediately change your circumstance, but it changes your heart. Because when you are, in, when you're not in a state of joy, your vision is blurry. You're not able to see what God is doing because you're overwhelmed with what is happening. Oh, they have increased the price of this. Ah, this job is not coming. My salary has been slashed. Um, X, Y, Z, insecurity, and everything is going on. And so you are clouded with the 
events on the outside. What rejoicing does for you is to elevate your sight beyond your environment, fix your sight on God, because remember, you are rejoicing in the Lord, not in the circumstances, but in the Lord. So rejoicing purifies your sight. And in every season of, of, of famine, there is an opportunity. And what rejoicing does is that it clears your eyes to be able to see the opportunity that, um, that God has prepared. Just like when um, Hagar was with, was with her son Ishmael and the water had finished, the food, had, the bread had finished, and she was, she was just, she thought her son was going to die. She was crying and everything. And God had to open her eyes to see the well that was right beside her. Why didn't she see that well? Because she was full of the, her mind was full of the impossibilities, full of the fact that this is the wilderness, water has finished, we are going to die. So the problem was clouding her vision. God had to take an intentional effort to open her eyes to see the well. And that's the same thing that happens to us in, in seasons of, of difficulties. When there is no joy, our vision is blurred. And so we can't even see the opportunities that God has already prepared right beside us for our sustenance and uplifting. If truly the Bible says that when men say there's a casting down, we will say there's a lifting up, then it is because God has already prepared a lifting up, but our eyes need to be purified to see it. And so rejoicing helps us to see what God is doing. So Apostle Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So I just want us to drill a little further into this concept of rejoicing and, and joy. And I'm saying this again because of what is going on around. Like you really need, you really need the joy of the Lord to be sustained. You know, I was, I was, uh, okay, last week, yeah, last week, but I wasn't, I wasn't around uh, for, you know, um, to, for Bible study or for prayer meeting, you know, that my wife led. I, I, I was on a trip, you know, for a minister's conference and, during the course of the trip, I moved from one city to another and was in, in you know, different public transport. And I, it just occurred to me how much difficulty people were going through. Not that I didn't know it, but it wasn't in my face. Just maybe because in my environment, I mean, there's I, my family where I, where I live, everyone in my house, we are just full of faith. So even though things may not be the same, but we are not, we are, we are not losing hope. I didn't know how much it was um, affecting people until I went out. And I saw that people were really, I mean, you enter, I, what, the cab I took from the airport, as soon as the guys took my, my luggage, you know, you know, helped me with my box and was going to the car. The first thing he said is, man, this country hard for everybody. You know, that was the country is difficult. And I'm like, what's this? What's this pessimism, you know? But again, from his own perspective, that is his experience and he's just voicing it out. And because I was in contact with such kind of people, it began to almost rub off on me. The, the, the weight of the depression almost began to rub off on me and it almost began to make me think in the light of a, of a man, you know, thinking as though there was no God to, on my side and thinking just in terms of my physical abilities. And, you know, when I came home that evening, yeah, and I was talking to my wife, she just began to remind me that see God is for us, so we are not we are not here because uh because we 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 have power on ourselves or we have our own ability that God is the one keeping us and it was just a very much needed reminder that day and I'm saying this again because 
the things that are going on in the world can easily cloud your, your eyes and can just bring a spirit of depression and bring a weight upon you. And only the joy of the Lord can sustain you. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the Bible says if you fail in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. What this means is that if you if you fail in the day of challenges and adversity, your strength is small. And what is your strength? Your strength is the joy of the Lord. So if in the midst of chaos, uh, 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 you know, economic depression and all of those things, you are failing, then it's not the, the state of the economy that is the pro problem. It is the state of your joy. And God gave, gave us this instruction as an escape. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. If you would stand strong, and you would survive the events of the world and whatever is going on around you, then you have to rejoice. You have to rejoice. And our rejoicing is in the Lord. So I want to I want us to drill down on this a little bit and then uh, just see what God has in store for us. Okay. So we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord and then rejoicing. <clears throat> but I want to I want to show something from Psalm 118, verse 15. Psalm 118 and verse 15. All right. Psalm 118 verse 15. Uh, just give me a minute. All right. There we go. Look at what the Bible says. It says, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tent of the righteous or it's in the camp of the righteous. It's in the company of the righteous. And it says the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. What this means is that how you recognize the righteous or how you recognize the believers, how you recognize those who belong to God is by the rejoicing, by their rejoicing. Because the voice of rejoicing is found only in the tent of the righteous. And so it's like God is looking for, God is trying to identify who his children are in this, in this day and time. Like he wants to know those who are his children. And the way he will identify, identify them is through the voice of rejoicing. God is dispatching his angels to bring victories. And, you know, the, the end of that verse says, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So God wants to act valiantly, but he's trying to identify these children. And the way he identifies his children is by that rejoicing, by the voice of rejoicing. So can God come to your house? Can God come to your tent? Can God come to your business and hear the voice of rejoicing? Can God come to your life, to your situation and hear the voice of rejoicing? And that's what he's looking for in this day and time. He knows what you are going through. He knows that, oh, things are tough. He knows things are, are difficult. He knows there's increase in this and all of that. He knows, but he's looking for his children in whose tents are the voice of rejoicing. And those are the people that he does, his right hand does valiant things for. Okay, so the way we identify believers is via the voice of rejoicing. Is through the voice of rejoicing that we identify believers, not necessarily um, through other, you know, ju just your presence in church and all of those things. No, it's through the voice of rejoicing because when we all go back to our homes in the in the privacy of our hearts, what does God hear from our hearts, right? Uh, and it is what He hears that he, he uses to recognize those who are His. And I want to read under scripture just to buttress, buttress the fact that. Uh, we identify the righteous 
by their joy or by their rejoicing. If you look at first, first Peter chapter one, verse eight, first Peter chapter one, <clears throat> verse eight, uh, look at what the Bible says. Uh, let, let me read. Um, mm, okay, let me read, let me read from verse six, just to give us a broader context. It says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's saying that we're rejoicing now, right? Even though for just a little while, we're grieved by various trials, meaning there are a lot of things happening and there's trials and all of that, but we still rejoice. And he says, if need be, uh, okay, okay, verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith or the, or the authenticity of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to, pra to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What that simply means is that even though now you're going through some, some trials and temptations, is so that your faith can be tested and your faith is of more, more value than gold, even though gold is tested by fire. Meaning that if gold, which by human standard is valuable, right, and as valuable as gold is, it has to be tested by fire. How much more your faith, which is more valuable than gold. So your faith will also be tested by fire. But look at verse, verse 8. It says, whom having not seen, you love. Right? That's talking about Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. It says, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. So it says, You've not seen him yet believing you rejoice. Meaning the people who believe are the people that rejoice. So the ultimate proof of our faith and the ultimate proof of our faith in Jesus Christ and belief in Jesus Christ is our rejoicing. Not even our giving because people can give without having faith. People can give, you know, maybe because they were guilt tripped into giving or they may be giving just to show that they have or whatever it is. But when it comes to rejoicing, it is because you believe God. And I'm saying that the sign of a believer is, the, is rejoicing. So when God comes to you and says, do you believe I will make a way where there seems to be no way? You say, yes, Lord. God comes to you and says, do you believe there will be, a, when man says there's a casting down, you will say there's a lifting up. You say, yes, Lord. Then God says, prove it to me. And how do you prove it to God? Is by your rejoicing, by living a life of joy, by, an ex by the expression of joy. That is how you prove that you believe. So the ultimate sign of a believer is their rejoicing or, or one of the signs of the believer, all right, that proves that we are walking in faith and we are actually believing God is our joy. And that's why I'm talking about this tonight. And that's why we're starting off with this um, in this series, that if you're going to live a supernatural life in the midst of whatever is going on, then you cannot be, be far from joy. Joy has to be a constant expression in your life. And why is this so? Why is this important? Look at what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Like I usually say, uh, this is called Bible study for a reason. So I'm going to read like a lot of scriptures or a, you know, a good number of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore, by him, that's talking about Jesus Christ, <clears throat> let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, 
giving thanks to his name. So by Jesus Christ, the Bible says, let us offer continually the sacrifice of praise. And like you most likely have heard before, it is called the sacrifice of praise for a reason. That if it was comfortable, it would not be called a sacrifice. Maybe to be called a a, a charity uh, or you know whatever term it is, but it would have been called a sacrifice because when it is a sacrifice, then it costs you something. So it says we are offering to God the sacrifice of praise. And what is the sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. So when our lips are giving thanks unto God, it is regarded as the sacrifice of praise. And again, it is sacrifice because it is offered at moments that are not conducive, moments that are not comfortable. Of course, if I give you a new phone, you will say thank you because a new phone just entered your hand. You are full of gratitude and that's amazing. You should be grateful to God for the things he has done. But when we talk about the sacrifice of praise, we're talking about the sacrifice, the praise that comes even before the thing has happened or before your your, your testimony or your breakthrough, whatever you're trusting God for, before that thing manifests, that is a sacrifice. In fact, that praise is offered even when God decides not to do it. In fact, you know, Paul, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he was talking about, um, about the thorn in his flesh. Sorry, we have 1 Corinthians now. We're talking about the thorn in his flesh and how we pray to God. He says, take this away from me and God three times God replies and says my grace is sufficient for you and then Paul says now I glory in my affliction meaning in my affliction in that in that uncomfortable experience I am giving glory to God that is a sacrifice of praise where you are you are you are praising God even in the absence of what you desire the most that your desire for that thing has not changed but your desire for that thing does not stop your praise to God. You understand? So you are desiring a particular thing and that thing hasn't come and you still desire it, but the absence of that thing and your desire for that thing doesn't hinder your praise unto God. That is the sacrifice of praise. And God says that we should continually offer unto him that sacrifice of praise. Continually. I'm telling you, there is no, there should be no season in your life where your praise diminished because of what is happening or what has not happened. If it is, if your praise diminishes or your praise to God reduces, then you've not yet come into the experience of God. So God says we should continually offer unto him the sacrifice, sacrifice of praise. And what is this sacrifice? Because it, it likens our praise to sacrifice. Okay. And what is, what does sacrifice connote in the realm of the spirit? All right. What, what, what does God receive? What does God see when he absorbs this sacrifice. Uh, that, that's what we want to look at. Um, uh, let's see, let's see, how do we do this? Okay, what 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 does sacrifice represent in realm of spirit? Let's look at Genesis chapter 8, because there's a unique element or a unique representation of sacrifice that uh, I want us to zero into. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, okay, Genesis chapter 8, just look at this quickly. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Because it says we should continually offer unto God the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. So our praise is likened to a sacrifice. So in the New Testament, what we call a sacrifice, right, is not killing bulls and, you know, slaughtering animals. But one of the expressions of, of 
sacrifice for, for the new believer is our praise, our thanksgiving, the joy that comes from our hearts to God. And uh, look at what a sacrifice, rep one of the things sacrifices represent in the, in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Look at what the Bible says. Um, and then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So first of all, first of all, the earth had just been flooded with uh, water, everything destroyed. The only things that were saved or the only living creatures that were saved were the, um, were the creatures in Noah's ark, all right? And so the Bible says, and after all that experience, when the land was dry, everything, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So he offered burnt offerings on the altar. This was a sacrifice. Look at verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil <clears throat> from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. But my emphasis is the beginning of verse one. It says, and the Lord smelled a smooth, a, a soothing aroma or a, a flavor, a fragrance before him. The question is, was it the fragrance of what was burning that God smelled? I don't think so. Because one, even if it was a physical smell, if you and I were there, it wouldn't smell nice. Have you ever gone to where they are roasting a roasting any anything, maybe roasting a goat or a, a cow? Even if you just think of you, you you grilling your chicken, all right, without any spices. Now remember, there were no spices at this point. Out, the Bible doesn't record that Noah added any spices in this. So just a natural smell wouldn't have smelled nice, okay, to start with. And this was a burnt offering that was burnt completely. You know, when you grill, you don't burn your whole chicken. You just sort of cook it over the fire, right? But this was, this wasn't grilling <laughs> the birds or, or the animals. It was legitimately burning everything. So physically speaking, the smell wasn't nice. Secondly, it couldn't have been physical smell because this is physical, all right? Um, no matter how, let's even assume the smell was to travel to the sky to meet God in heaven, it, it would have dissipated by then. So clearly what God perceived was not, it was not physical. That's what I'm trying to say. The perception here, what he smelled was spiritual. So he smelled that uh, the significance of that sacrifice in the realm of the spirit, and it smelled nice unto him. And so this is it, that every appropriate sacrifice has an aroma before God. And that's what I'm trying to drive at. That every time we offer sacrifices to God, it carries an aroma. And there are several scriptures in the book of Exodus in the book of uh, Leviticus, in the book of Ezekiel, several scriptures that talk about the sweet-smelling um, savour unto God or the sweet-smelling aroma to God. So every time we bring sacrifices before God, as long as they are appropriate, then it ascends to God as there's a flavour that comes to God. Okay? Now let's look at, that, at another scripture just to, to drive this point. Um, every offering or every you know sacrifice carries an aroma. Genesis chapter, sorry, Exodus rather, chapter 29, verse 18. Exodus chapter 29, verse 18. Here God was giving instructions to uh, Moses, you know, to pass down instructions to Aaron and his people. Verse 18 says, and you shall burn, this is Exodus chapter 29, verse 18, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar, 
It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is an it is a sweet aroma. So every offering, every sacrifice before God carries an aroma. And I, there's somewhere I'm driving to, all right? Every sacrifice before God carries an aroma. And when God is saying to us that we should offer to him the sacrifice of praise, what that means is that the praise we offer to God carries an aroma before his presence, okay? But before I even, I drill into that, I, I take that thought a little further. I just wanted to, because we're talking about sacrifice, I just wanted to highlight something that will be helpful to us, um, you know, in our lives. That every every sacrifice is made up of three things, okay? Every time we talk about sacrifice, check this in Old Testament and even in New, there are, it's made up of three things. Number one is made up of the offering, meaning what is offered on the on the altar. In the case of Noah, he took from every animal and every bird. Um, in the case of where we just read in Exodus, he, he says, take the ram or the bull. So that is the, the offering. Number one, that's the offering. Number two is every sacrifice is made up of an altar because there has to be a platform upon which that offering will be offered. Okay, you understand that? So there must be an altar. And number three, there must be fire. So every sacrifice is made up of an offering, an altar, and fire. Now, what does this mean for us, um, you know, in the New Testament? Because we are not carrying booths to churches and then there's no altar. I mean, even what we call an altar, you know, in the church today is not what it, what it looked like in, in, the, in the olden days or in the days of the Old Testament. All right. So what, what do these things represent for us? Number one, the offering, right, like I said, is what is being offered on that altar or what, what you are presenting, uh, you know, um, as the instrument of worship. And for us, it could be, it takes different forms. All right. Um, it, just like we have, we spoke some minutes ago, it could be your worship. It could be your song. All right. It could be your, your, your adoration to God. That could be a sacrifice. When someone goes through a difficult season and then instead of the person complaining and lamenting and murmuring the person decides to just worship god you see that song even though the person has been singing the song for the last 10 years but because of that event the song has a different meaning it is a it is an offering unto god all right um it could be your giving when god you know instructs you to maybe give give something you know maybe to a church or to a person and and you know it costs you something all right. Um, it could be your giving or maybe you recognize a need and you take out of your your pocket what is not convenient and you give it. That is a sacrifice, a, a, an offering. Sorry. Um, it could be your time. All right. When you 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 forfeit the time you could have spent doing something else and you even decide to spend that time with God or spend the time for God, meaning you are in, you either spend that time in prayer, in worship, or you decide to use that time to maybe disciple someone. You are spending that time for God, or you are serving in maybe a local assembly or whatever it is. That that is an offering because you might you could have been maybe watching a movie or playing games or visiting a friend or being at the beach in that same time. But decided to use that time for something else. That is an offering, or it might even be an opportunity. Okay, maybe you. They are asking you to, there's an opportunity, for instance, for you to uh, uh, pick up a job somewhere that will pay you good money, but you just started discipling a group of people and you know it will take that job, 
you will not be able to continue discipling these people. And so you forfeit that opportunity for, for the sake of, you know, God's kingdom. That is an offering before God. So you get the concept? So for us, that's an offering. Now, what does an altar mean? An altar is a representation of our relationship with God, okay? Because it's not just anybody that, and when you check through scriptures, it's not just anybody that could set up an altar. When, when Abraham set up an altar, he, he did it because of an experience and encounter he had with God. Same thing too with uh, Isaac and with Jacob. The altar represents our relationship with God. You will never see where an unbeliever set up an altar or someone who did not have a relationship with God set up an altar to God. They may set up an altar to another, you know, idol, right? Because they are, they are, they are representing their relationship with that idol. So an altar here represents our relationship with God. And so this is important because, and this explains why an unbeliever cannot just, because he has money, maybe give money to church and just claim he's a sacrifice. No, God doesn't just receive money. God is not a beggar. That's what I'm trying to say. He doesn't just receive offerings from anybody. Okay. In fact, when you read Genesis chapter four, when talk, that talks about the uh, about Cain and Abel, the Bible says that God regard God had regard unto Abel and to his offering, but God did, had no regard unto Cain and to his offering. The first thing God regarded was the person before the offering, and that's what that that talks about our relationship with God. So we can't just casually give, you know, and and that's that this this is why someone cannot make go and you know rob a bank and come and give offering to God and give a tithe to God and says, oh, I'm paying my tithe and pay my offering. God doesn't accept it because the first thing he looks at is your relationship with him. All right. Um, God, someone cannot defraud people, maybe, you know, do gimmicks in his business, cheat other people, cheat his partners, cheat the customers, and then make it fat profit and come to give Come to church and say, I have a testimony. I'll thank God that my, my, my last business, I made 200% profit. But that profit came because he duped other people. And now says, I'm giving, I'm giving 30% of my offering of my, my profit to God. God doesn't accept it because there is no altar. All right. So an altar here represents our relationship with God. So um the, we've talked about the offering, the altar. The um third thing is the fire. Because even though there is an altar and there is fire, there is an offering on it, there has to be fire. And just before I continue, remember when um, Abraham took Isaac and, you know, God had asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And Isaac didn't know what was going on. Somewhere along the journey, Isaac said, Father, there is, you know, I, I've been following you for sacrifices. And you usually would create set up an altar, you put fire and you carry an offering. But in this, our journey to go and sacrifice to God, I can see the instruments for the fire. I can see what we used to set up the altar, but I don't see the offering. So where's the offering? Little did he know that he was going to be the offering. Okay. Um, so there has to be these three things. And the third thing we said is fire. Now, remember when Elijah uh, was, you know, confronted the prophets of Baal and challenged them to say, Set up your own altar, put your offering, but don't put fire. Let's leave the fire, that variable, let's leave it for the supernatural to, to supply. That would be the way we would know if we know whose God is truly God. And so they set up the, the fire, um, sorry, I was going to say the Pharisees. The prophets of Baal 
set up the altar, you know, put their own offering. And they were calling on their gods and there was no fire. But then when it came to Elijah's turn, the first thing Elijah did was he reconstructed the altar. He rebuilt the altar because Elijah understood that even if you have the offering, but there's no altar, you can't just lay the offering on the floor. Fire will not come. So he laid, he, he rebuilt the altar, put the offering, and then God supplied the fire. So, but what does fire represent for us? Because your offering has to have these three things. Your sacrifice rather has to have these three things, the offering, the altar, and the fire. What does fire here represent? It represents the costs that the cost it took us to make the offering available. Let me explain. You know, when you when somebody goes through difficult situations, they're emotionally and physically and all of those things exhausted. But if in that moment they decide to offer to God praise and worship, they decide to bring an offering of worship to God, it is costing them something. It is costing them, you know, there's what we call opportunity cost in economics, all right? Meaning if I'm going to buy this pen for 100 Naira, that same 100 Naira, I could have used it to buy maybe a biscuit, right? So what this pen is really costing me is the biscuit, the other thing I would have used that money for or whatever, you know, alternative I may have had. So when that person in that difficult situation decides to give praise to God, the opportunity cost or the alternative that the person that be engaged in is murmuring, complaining, you know, self-pity and all of that. But the person decides to forfeit all those things or to forego those things, right, using economic terms now, to forego those things and then offer praise to God. So what it costs him to offer praise to God is the fire because it is it is difficult. It is the fire is not conducive. It's not comfortable. That is the cost. So when it, when um when David said, "I will not give unto God something that doesn't cost me," he understood the concept of 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 sacrifice, and that is why when David said, "You know, I I, I thirst and I want to drink water from from a particular well," you know, in maybe his village, and two of his or three rather of his soldiers got up and and went broke through the garrison of the of the Philistines and brought water from that well. When David looked at the water, he knew that this water cost these people their lives because they risked their life for it. And he says, no, this kind of sacrifice is only the gods that can drink it. It's only God Almighty that can accept sacrifices like this. And so he he threw the water away. He says he can't, he can't take it because he understood the concept of sacrifice that a sacrifice has fire. It has a cost, the cost of the offering. That what you're offering before God has to cost you something for it to be a complete sacrifice. So this is a different thing from just, um, let's say in a, in, in, a, in a context of giving, it's a different thing from just giving, you know, because you have surplus, giving because you have, there's a, you have excess, you have disposable income. So you're just giving from your disposable income. That giving is fine. Uh, you know, that giving qualifies under the, the principle where Jesus Christ says, give and it shall be given to you. That is great. But when you are talking about a sacrifice, then it must cost you something. And the fire in this sacrifice is the cost that it costs you, permit me to you know, use that, what it costs you to make that offering available. Okay? So the think of the times when God leads you to give something that is very uncomfortable. You know, one time, God asked me to give my, my phone only for, I didn't have two phones. It was the only phone I had. God asked me to give it to someone 
take shoes and add money and give to this person. And I promise you, I did not have many of the, the things I gave. I did not have many, many phones. I had only one phone. I did not have many shoes. Neither did I have much money. But God said, take your phone, take the shoe and money and give to this person. And I did. That is a sacrifice. Okay. So that's what a sacrifice comprises of. The altar, the offering and the fire. Now, that was just for your spiritual education purposes. But back to the concept of the sacrifice, where we talked about, <clears throat> where, and, about and what we've established is that every sacrifice that is, that is done right carries an aroma before God. And we established that for us physically, one of the um, ways we offer sacrifices, the Bible says the, we should offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. So every time we are giving glory to God, and I, I said earlier that especially when the when it is not conducive, when it is not convenient, that is a sacrifice. And from what we have seen in scriptures, that sacrifice carries fragrance. Look at what Ephesians chapter 5 verse, verse 1 and 2 says. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, where are we, where are we? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Just look at what the Bible says. And you know, just establish that every sacrifice carries an aroma. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as their children and walk in love as children also, sorry, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So Jesus gave himself to God as an offering and a sacrifice. Then he says a sweet smelling aroma. So every sacrifice that is done right before God ascends to God as a sweet smelling aroma. Now, why is this even important in the realm of the spirit? I'll tell you why. And just so you just, you know, so you have the full picture for us. This sacrifice now is our praise and our worship. You know, when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. That rejoicing and that giving of thanks is, is that worship, is that sacrifice unto God. And that's every time we worship God and it's done right, it ascends to God as an aroma, as a sweet-smelling savour. But what is the implication of this sweet-smelling savour in the realm of the spirit? This is what it means. In, look at Genesis chapter 27, verse 19. Uh, read you know, a couple of verses, but I want to show you how the spirit realm recognizes us. Genesis chapter 29, verse 9. No, uh, no, no, no. Did I get that right? Genesis chapter 27, sorry. Not Genesis chapter 27. Uh, 27, verse 19. So this was when, I mean, just backdrop story. I was going to round up soon. When um, Isaac wanted to, to, to bless Esau, and then he told Esau to go and go hunt and prepare him the kind of pepper soup he really likes. And um, uh, Rebecca had the conversation, you know, cut it in between and told Jacob what to do and all of that. So, you know, the story, look at verse 19. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may, may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you. So Isaac wanted to verify who this person really is. He says, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. 
So remember at this point, Isaac was already blind because of old age. Then it says, verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So there was there was sort of conflict. He was trying, ah, the, the voice sounds like Jacob's voice. But by the time I touched his hand, he was, you know, Esau was hairy. He said, ah, this hand is like Esau's hand. Verse 23 says, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And then verse 24, then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Verse 25, Isaac said to him, bring it to me. I'm bringing near to me and I will eat of my son's game <clears throat> so that my soul may bless him. So he brought it near to him. He ate it and brought him wine and he drank. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him saying, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now, what Isaac was doing was, was still trying to verify, is this, is this Esau or not? So he said, come close to me. Let me let me kiss you. And as he came close to kiss him, he smelled the fragrance from his cloth. And he said, ah, this is Esau. So even though the voice sounded like Jacob, the, the, um, the skin felt like that of Esau, what was the determining factor? What was the, the uh, tiebreaker was the smell. And this is what I'm trying to say, that in the realm of the spirit, you are recognized by your smell. You are recognized by the fragrance that you emit. And so when Paul says, uh, or the book of Hebrews says, we should offer to God the sacrifice of praise. What we have seen is that every sacrifice carries an aroma. So what heaven recognizes when you are praising God is the aroma that you release. And that is how heaven recognizes you. And depending on the aroma you, re you release, there's a corresponding blessing that is returned from heaven. And I'm telling you that this is what heaven looks at when heaven wants to bless. Says, we are looking for the person that smells, that is emitting this aroma before God. And God is looking around, looking around. Remember we said um, from Psalm 118 that the righteous are recognized by their rejoicing. And now this is the same thing we are saying because that rejoicing releases a fragrance before heaven. And heaven is looking for that fragrance because heaven responds to the fragrance and that's how he, heaven releases the blessings. And let me tell you, this is why it is, you know, it is, it is counterproductive for people who think that when they act in pity, when they look depressed, when they look sorrowful, they look sad, then people will help them. People will now pity them and say, hey, yeah, ah, just look at him. Let me help him. I, I assure you that's not how this life works. Because from the realm of the spirit, your, your, your sadness, your gloominess, your pity is emitting a kind of, of scent. It's emitting an odor. And that odor doesn't attract help. That order doesn't attract favor. That order doesn't attract blessings. So what to do is you are going through stuff. Oh, this did not work out. Business did not work out. The job did not work out. All of those things. Put on a, the garment of praise, like the Bible says. Wear the perfume of, of rejoicing and thanksgiving. People look at you and say, ah, there's just something about you. Come, come, come. Let me help you. Even without you telling them your need, the aroma you emit would spur the blessings of God in your direction. And this is a secret. If you can have a heart of gratitude, a heart of worship, a heart of rejoicing, you'll be so shocked at how without you opening your mouth, 
people would be eager to help you just because there's an aroma. You know, when somebody enters a place that and it, the person smells really nice, especially ladies, right? You don't see guys just just yeah, smile. Hi, how are you? Ah, come. Have you had lunch? Come, let me let let's go for lunch. You know, uh, this your bag is nice. So you, I, I can see the kind of things you like. Let me order from Amazon. You know, don't those kind of gestures. The lady has not said anything. She did not do anything. She's just smelling nice and having that demeanor. I'm telling you that a greater thing happens in the realm of the spirit, right? That when you when you smell nice in the realm of the spirit, there's a release of blessing. Check it. Every time they, they smell was nice, God released the blessing. Go to Genesis chapter 8. When God smelled the sacrifice that, um, that Noah uh, offered, he began to bless. He said in his heart, Noah was not asking for a blessing. Noah was not, you know, in fact, Noah was just offering to God to just say thank you. But when he perceived the, the aroma, God began to release a blessing on the earth. And the same thing happened in this, in this scripture we're reading. When, look at verse, um, verse 27, it says, And he came near him, that's talking about Isaac, and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him. I'm telling you that when, this, when your smell is, your, is, is an aroma before God, there's a release of blessing. So my question to you today is, what are you smelling like? Don't smell, don't carry the smell of your, of your situation. Don't smell like what you've been through. Don't smell like the fire you've, you've passed through. No, don't smell like it. I know there, there are tough times. You've gone through difficulties. They've gone through disappointment. I'm, I'm saying don't smell like your disappointment. Don't smell like your heartbreak. Don't smell like the, the quote-unquote failure you experienced. Smell like 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 worship and offering um, and, and an aroma before God. Let me end with these scriptures just just because I, I mentioned this. Daniel chapter three, verse twenty six and twenty nine um, and twenty seven. We're, we're closing up, closing with this. Daniel chapter nine. Is that what I said? Is that what I said? Daniel chapter chapter three. Sorry, not chapter nine. Daniel chapter three. Verse 26. Look at it. These are the these, you know, they threw these boys into the fire because they refused to bow down before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. But look at what he says in verse uh 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. So they were in fire. They were in, in what, you know, what we would call tough situations. They were in the midst of the pressure. They were in the midst of the economic crunch, the midst of all of that. They came out of it. Look at verse 27. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their head was not um, signed or singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. And this is what I'm saying, that you can go through fire, but the smell of the fire can, should not be on you. Yes, you might have gone through heartbreak. Somebody broke your heart. You know, somebody promised you a job and they disappointed you. You tried a business, it failed. I know that is fire. It is uncomfortable. But I'm saying you don't need to carry the smell of your past on you. And the only way you can do that is by replacing that smell. And you replace that smell by worship and rejoicing to God. And once heaven begins to smell your, the aroma that comes from you, automatically a blessing is released. There's nobody that goes through 
difficult situation and carries it on their face that eventually comes out victorious. No, 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 no. Check it. Nobody. The people that come out victorious are those that, though they've gone through the fire, they decide to rejoice. They decide to be happy. And then, I, I, again, I try this. Test it in this month of September. You see that without even you asking people for it, your the, the aura and the aroma of your gratitude, your worship, will be so contagious that people will ask you, ah, there's just something about you. Come, oh, just, just come. Let me favor you. Let me do, do this for you. That's because you are giving up fragrance. So change your smell, all right? Maybe I should have titled today's Bible study, Change Your Smell, all right? Uh, but yeah, change your smell. What, what smell is coming from you? What is heaven perceiving from you? Okay, is it a smell of, 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 of rejoicing and worship or is it a smell of your, your experience? Okay, so this is what God wants us, this is how God wants us to live because heaven recognizes us by our smell, by what, what, what we release before, before him. In fact, I was just reading um, an article just before Bible study that one of the ways predators recognize their praise is by the smell that their praise give off. So there's a smell you give up that the predator knows this one is, is, is a prey for me. And it's the same way too. There's a smell you give up that the enemy knows, ah, this is my next target. Because he's looking for who he would he would devour. He can't devour everybody. The smell you give up would signal to him that, ah, this person is giving up the smell of the depression, smell of defeat. Let me go and attack him. But when you're giving up the ar ar um, aroma, the, the, the fragrance of worship, he knows that, no, 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 this is not my candidate. <clears throat> this is not the kind of person people are attacked. Let me go and look for someone else. Hallelujah. Okay, let's end here. Um, but don't forget, you must change your smell. You must change your smell. Have, let wash, Just worship God. Bible says rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I, again, I say rejoice. Let that be your constant you know, aroma before God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, we are grateful because your word to us is not only an instruction, but it is an empowerment. So we receive the empowerment to rejoice in you always. <clears throat> we receive the empowerment to rejoice regardless of how things are pl playing out or what may have happened. We receive the empowerment to rejoice in you always. Yes, we know that it, it is humanly difficult, but uh, we receive that empowerment for you, from you. That every time our lives would, would release worship, would release adoration, would release praise unto your name in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. And I pray that if there's anyone who is currently in the midst of fire, I pray that you, you grant them the grace to not let the smell of the fire stay on them. That is to not let the, the, the effect and the smell of their experience to linger on them in the name of Jesus Christ. That we all come out with a different fragrance. A fragrance of worship, honor, and sacrifice to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, I do not know if we're able to take to take quest questions right now, but um, please drop in the comments uh or in the chat just one thing that you have learned today. Drop in the chat one thing you have learned today. Um I really would love to know. Um, uh, please let me know one thing you have learned today that you are going back with what is that one thing that uh ministered to your heart today all right 
Um, while that is going on, I want to drop the links to our Instagram and our YouTube. We are we want to grow our Instagram. I mean, maybe some of you didn't even know we had an Instagram page, but please uh follow us on Instagram if you are not already doing so, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Um, yes, we do have a YouTube channel. Somebody is asking, Oh, we do. Yes, we have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram. I'm dropping the links for us right now in the chats. I'm dropping the links for us right now in the chat. Okay. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, and then, yeah, we would love to meet you there. Thank you so much, Bruno. So he says your smell, that's what he's learned today, says your smell determines the response that you get. And if I, the way he put it just reminds me of the that. <laughs> ah, I'm laughing because it reminds me of an experience I had um, la last week. I went for a church program and the person that was beside me, I mean, maybe we should have a, a fireside chat about just smelling nice on the fiscal, but this person wasn't smelling nice. And where the hot worship was going on, and every time I want to worship, something just hits me and brings me back to this fiscal realm, and I had to change my seat. Cut the long story short. So the smell you release actually determines the response you get. Thank you so much, uh, brother Nonso, for sharing that. Uh, people on Mixlr, I'm looking forward to your comments. Let me see your comments. What is something you have learned today? Um, please drop it in the comments or drop it in the chats. Okay, so we're going to continue this uh, next week. We are going to continue. Our anchor scripture is First Thessalonians chapter five, chapter five, from verse sixteen to I believe verse um, I believe verse twenty or nineteen. Now I'll check it out. But yes, we'll continue this uh, next week. Idara on Mixlr says, "In the realm of the spirit, that's what she has learned today. In the realm of the spirit, you are recognized." by the aroma you release. Wear the perfume of rejoicing and thanksgiving. The aroma you emit will spur the blessings of God in your direction. Change your smell. Absolutely correct. Change your smell. Okay. All right. Thank you all for joining tonight. Do have a, or today, do have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next week. Please invite someone. I know we've said this, but start today's Tuesday. If you begin to Talk to someone you want to invite next week or begin to pray about it. Uh, you are likely to get the person by next week, Tuesday. So please consciously determine or decide one person you would invite next week that would come with you. And um, we would love to have them join us. All right. So we'll see you next week. Same time, the same links, uh, the same platforms. All right. God bless you all. God bless you all. Um, yeah.